Hi, Chris Valentin here. Welcome to my podcast, where I hope to inspire you to transform the world within you and transform the world around you. I'm excited to share this message with you today. I pray the Lord ministers to you as you listen. Okay, grab a hand. You can get a date this way if you're watching online. I don't know how you're going to do that, but just put a chat in. I'm single or something. This week, I interviewed this gal while I'm praying. I'm going to pray for you in a minute. I interviewed this gal that wrote a book, How How to Get Married in Less Than 12 Months. Yep, yep. All of my staff, they're all single women, all came to watch me interview her. It was very cool. So, Lord, we bless this this day. Bless the speaker. We pray, God, for a great anointing to be on our ears and our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, You know, the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 17, verse 38, he quoted a secular poet. So that gave me permission to play a portion of the Braveheart movie this morning to uh, make a kingdom point. Would you put that video on? By the way, if you're watching, you're probably not going to see this video. So just pretend like you're watching the Braveheart movie right now. Such a great clip right there. I wish we could just watch the whole movie for... (laughs) Sunday morning. Uh, you know, uh, I have, I've watched that movie many times. I have it on my computer. But um, the other day, probably a few, probably a month ago or so, I was watching that movie again. And this line stood out to me. What does it mean to be noble? And I, I haven't been able to get it out of my mind. Like, what does it mean to be noble? I, I, I'm deeply concerned about where we are as a church. I don't mean Bethel Church. I'm talking about the global church. It feels like, you know, Isaiah said, arise and shine for your light has come. But it feels to me like the church is beginning to arise and reflect. Instead of shining the light of the Lord, we are reflecting the world's idea of of goodness and mercy and kindness and love. And, you know, Paul, the apostle Paul said, there is another Jesus. And I'm concerned that we, you know, First John says, when we see him, we'll be like him. But I'm concerned that if we don't see him, then, we become, then he becomes like us. And we end up with a God in our own image. Yes. Now, this is streaming, and people will see this that I don't intend, that I'm not speaking to, because the world's the world. How many understand that the world needs Jesus? They don't need a new philosophy. They don't need a new theology. They need Jesus. So when we're talking to the world, and, we're, and the world is is doing what the world does. The world sins. We were all part of that system. And, uh, and I'm not speaking with any kind of judgments to the world. I'm speaking to the church of Jesus Christ. I'm deeply concerned that the values that are shaping the world without God are also shaping the, the world, the kingdom, with God. And, I, and the challenge is that I feel like that our, my, if my feelings define me, and passions are embraced as my identity, then what does it mean to be noble? If my feelings define me, and my passions, I embrace my passions as my identity, then what does it mean to be noble? And and what I'm getting at is that, see, God gives us mercy and grace. We got saved by grace through mercy. And mercy means I didn't get what I deserved. And grace means I got what I didn't deserve. 
If a police officer pulls you over for going 50 miles over the speed limit and he doesn't give you a ticket, that's mercy. You didn't get what you deserve. But if the same police officer pulls you over for going 50 miles over the speed limit and instead of giving you a ticket, he gives you $1,000 for speeding, that's grace. You got what you didn't deserve. But my point is, is that 1 John says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many understand that I can't receive mercy unless I actually have done something that deserves punishment and I admit to that? I'm saying when I take away the confession of sin, I say that's not a sin. I was actually created to live like this. Then how many understand that, I, that, that I actually, I've actually kept myself from mercy? And when I don't receive mercy, I can't receive grace, which grace isn't just undeserved favor. Grace is the operational power of God. It's the ability to do what I couldn't do one second before I received grace. When we say we got saved by grace, it doesn't mean I just got what I didn't deserve. It means that God actually delivered me from the clutches of the devil in which he had, the devil, had power over me. Sin had power over me. And when I got saved by grace, it means he empowered me to have power. He empowered me to have power over sin and power over the enemy so I could get free from evil. Are you with me? And I'm saying the way that I receive grace is to actually admit that I need mercy. Are you with me? And mercy means I didn't get what I deserve, which means I have to admit I deserve it. I deserve punishment. I deserve eternal punishment. But when I received Christ and I confessed my sins, I received mercy so I could have grace, which is the power to be delivered. Are you with me? Think about prophetic words. We talk about this lots. What does a prophetic word do? It gives me grace. What does fellowship do? It gives me grace. I receive grace from prophetic declarations. I receive grace from other people. What is grace? It's the operational power of God is flowing to me through other people, through prophetic words, through the Bible. You get the idea. Many, there are many fountains of grace that are coming to me. But grace, so if I called you out and said, I see you as a nurse, and you're not a nurse. And you're like, I, I'm not a nurse. I've never desired to be a nurse. I've never thought about being a nurse. I have no education for being a nurse. How many of you know, if it's really a right word, we'd have to judge that. But if it is, the prophetic word, if you receive a prophet, the name of a prophet, you receive a prophet's reward. What is the prophet's reward? It's the ability to do what you couldn't do one second before you heard the word. In other words, grace is coming to you for that prophetic word, in this case, to be a nurse. You may have never had a gift to be a nurse. You better never had an idea to be a nurse. But how many of you know God wants to do more than you ask or think? And what I'm getting at is that when we, going back to salvation, when we receive Jesus Christ by faith, we receive mercy and God goes, I no longer count your sins against you. I wipe them out. But more than that, I give you grace to live above the snake line. So when I say, you know, I'm addicted to drugs and I'm a Christian, how many know, you'll know the truth, John 8, 32, and the truth will set you free. That word truth is the word, we get our English word reality. What is the reality? I'm addicted to drugs. Listen, it feels real. We've all felt addicted to things. I have at least as a Christian. But the reality is, is that I have power over that. I have the power over that by grace. The reason I keep saying this is because when you take out the confession of sin, you don't get the grace you need, right? You don't get the grace you need to actually overcome sin. 
Here we go. So what happens is, is I begin to define myself as, like, this isn't my, this, this is my identity. I can't overcome it because I was born to do it. And if I was born to do everything I have a passion for, then what does it mean to be noble? I'd like to propose that I am not defined by the temptations I resist. I am defined by the virtues I embrace. I'm not defined by the temptations I resist. I'm defined by the virtues I embrace. How many of you know that temptation is not sin? In fact, Jesus was tempted in every way. I think every way means every way. Yet without sin. So the idea that I am drawn to something that is not good for me is not in itself sin. What I do with it matters. When I say, well, I'm drawn to it because I was created for it, I'm like, oh, now I can't get grace because I just said I haven't sinned. <laughs> okay, good point, Chris. Okay, we're going to move on. Galatians chapter 5, why don't you turn there? Verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, one another, so that you may not do the things you please. I don't know if you got that line. He's saying, if you walk by the Spirit, you won't do the things you please. Yeah. In other words, the goal of life isn't just to do everything you please. <laughs> but if you are led by the Spirit... You're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident. Here they are, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. It pretty much got us all, I think. And by the way, if you, if you say, I've never done any of these, you've probably done the things like these. <laughs> of which I forewarned you. Just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me read that again. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace and patience, kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness, self-control. Against, against these things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. And... I, I, I want to point out that self-control is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Did you, are you with me? Like, you, your ability to control yourself is a gift from the Holy Spirit. Like, the truth is, before you knew God, you couldn't control you. The truth is, sin controlled you. But you came into another kingdom, and when you received Jesus Christ, you received the ability to control yourself. Well, I have a bad temper because I'm Irish. I'm sorry, it doesn't matter what ethnic group you're from. If it's sin, you can control it. Because the Spirit is in you to control you. <laughs> Good point, Chris. Part of the challenge we have is that, you know, the man at the gate, beautiful, who was lame. He got healed, and he walked, he leaped, and he praised God. He walked, he got physically healed. He leaped, he got emotionally healed. And he praised God, he got spiritually healed. The very next verse says, and when, when the crowd saw him walking and praising God, how many of the previous verse said he walked, he leaped, and he praised God. But it says the crowd saw him walking and praising God. Did you notice leaping wasn't in there? 
I'm saying it hasn't been in there for 2,000 years. I'm saying the church teaches people how to manage their spirit. They often teach people how to manage their physical needs, but hardly anybody teaches people what to do with my emotional needs, my needs of connection. For example, I need, I need attention. Well, you just need attention. <laughs> you know, I want to say to you, the more you say, I don't care what people think, the more you care what people think. <laughs> if I walked in here and said, I'm a man, I'm a man, you'd be like, he must be having some struggle with his identity. You know, I was created to need air. Like my body needs air. It doesn't matter how much I read the Bible. You know, if I'm drowning in a pool, someone doesn't walk by and go, you just need air. Just read the Bible more. You wouldn't need air. It doesn't matter how much I read the Bible. The Bible's not going to take care of me needing air. I need air. I need food. I need stuff. <laughs> I just thought I'd stop there. We're streaming. I, there's stuff I need. Stuff you need too. You also need attention. You don't just want it, you need it. You need affection. You need a sense of significance. You need a sense of belonging. Like these are things that you need as much as you need water, as much as you need air. You need these things. And what I'm getting at is if you don't admit that you need these things, you create no, you create no plan to manage yourself to get them in a way that's healthy. We see people, and I want to say, listen, I, I'm not against tattoos, uh, you know, uh, piercings, uh, colored hair, or anything I'm about to say. <laughs> but the truth is, there are people in our culture that, wa- that are walking around with a big old sign that says, I need you to see me because I feel freaking invisible. Please recognize me. Because we're grown up in fatherless homes. We're grown up, we, we know our machines better than we know our parents. And, and we're starving for someone to say, I see you. I believe in you. You belong here. And what I'm getting at is we have a whole culture that doesn't know how to manage a, one dimension of their being because they don't admit they actually have a need. And the church doesn't help because we shame it. We go, well, they were just trying to get attention in the service. Do you see that? Trying to get attention. Anytime people feel out of sorts, anytime people feel alone, they're going to do whatever the fathers and mothers value. Mm-hmm. People are like, well, that person's shaking and falling down. does it every time. She does it every time because they're just looking for attention. Well, the goal, <laughs> yeah. And if the fathers and mothers are validating that manifestation, they will be people who fake, not because they're fakers, but because they're people who don't feel fathered. They don't feel mothered. Are you with me? And what I'm getting at is that we need to help people to feel, to feel loved and cared for. But you don't care and love for people by not telling people the truth. You know, the goal of our Christian life is that the spirit world would manage our appetites. When we deny that we have these basic needs, then we develop no plan. You know, if I'm completely broke and I walk into the bank, this is for you, bro. Got a banker in the front row. We walk into the bank, I don't think I could rob this bank. Some of you are like, I, I do. That's one of my temptations. <laughs> Got so quiet. 
I mean, I don't think I can rob this bank, but there are many people who will sexualize someone to meet their need for attention or affection. I'm like, I'm saying, we, we, we all have boundaries, but culture is telling us it's okay to do this or this or this. And people are telling us that Jesus doesn't care how I live as long as I receive him, because love doesn't confront. And I'm, I'd like to point out that we have, we have created a new Jesus. And this Jesus, this Jesus doesn't confront anybody. Or this Jesus only confronts the religious people. Here's a new one. He only confronts the religious people. And by the way, that would be you. You're in church. You're a pastor. The only people Jesus confronts is you people who are preaching. And I'd like to point out that Jesus, nobody was safe with Jesus. Jesus confronted everybody. The disciples, the Pharisees, the politicians, and his mother. That's in the Bible. Turn to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You've heard it said, you shall love, I'm sorry, you shall, <laughs> no, that's another verse. Verse 27 says, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. If, so, okay, Jesus, what do I do about that? I'm lusting after a woman. What's Jesus, what does Jesus say is the solution for that? He says, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it away from you. <laughs> for it's better, listen, why would I do that? Well, it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, still talking about lust, cut it off. And throw it away from you, for it's better for you to lose one of your body parts than for the whole body to go to hell. This is the words of Jesus. First of all, we don't think Jesus confronts anybody, and now we don't believe in hell. Well, how could a loving God send people to hell? Well, he didn't send people to hell. He said, over my dead body can you go to hell. But you still have a free will. Sometimes I think we're trying to reconcile things in our finite mind. You know, we're, we're like, well, how could a loving God allow people to go to hell? I just told you, he created a way for you not to go to hell. So he is a loving God that created a path for you to go to heaven. Not by your works, but by his. I mean, it doesn't get much easier than that. But you know, if you were, if, if you were born 200 years ago, well, if you're in the room, you'd be very old. <laughs> if you were born 200 years ago, and maybe you had a vision of the future. And in the vision, you saw that the entire Bible in every language could be written on something the size of a fingernail. And you try to tell somebody, I saw the entire Bible written on something the size of a fingernail. People say, no, that's crazy. That can't happen. You know why? Because they don't yet know about the microchip that's about to be invented in 180 years later. 150 years later. Are you with me? I'm saying that person is viewing their reality through their finite experience and saying that's not possible. And I'm saying when we look at what Jesus says, when we look at what the Bible says, and we say, well, how can this and this be, how could that work? And we determine it can't be true because I don't understand it in my finite understanding. And when, and when Jesus says to live by faith, 
I'd like to point out, he's not just saying, believe in me. He's also saying, believe me. Oh, you're not going where I'm going. I'm pointing out that Jesus has been around for a long time. Like eternity, forever. He's invented a lot of things. And so when he says, this and this can be true, these two things held in tension are true, and you go, how could that be? He goes, believe me. Just believe me. I've created a lot of technology between here, metaphorically speaking, you don't know about, but these things are both true. And you know what? You believe in things that you don't understand all the time. I mean, remember the first time you got on a plane? You're like, how can this heavy metal fly? You know, everything I do goes down. And the pilot goes, trust me. And you are experiencing something most of you, most of us can't explain. But it's true. So when the Lord says, this is the way it is in the kingdom, and you go, that can't be true, because, you know, I mean, I've been here 70 years, and I've not been able to make that happen. Jesus doesn't just say, believe in me. He says, believe me. It's true. Are you with me? So, <laughs> so the Lord says, here's how important it is that you don't live in lust that you don't live in jealousy, that you don't live in envy, that you don't live in bitterness. It's so important that if you had to gouge your eyes out to cure yourself from lust, that would be better that your 70 years of, of your finite life doesn't affect your billion years of your infinite life. Because what you do today determines what you will do for the next billion years. Well, that seems unfair. I don't believe in that. You should believe in that. Because... That's what the manufacturer said. <laughs> the Lord said, what you do in these 70, 80, 90, 100 years, this will set your direction for the next billions of years. What you do today. And guess what? When you look future present at your life, everything that happened, all the suffering, all the things you pleased that didn't happen, all the things you wished would, have, would not happen. I know there's lots of great stuff happening, but all the stuff that didn't happen that you wanted to happen, it will all make sense in eternity. And the Lord goes, just believe me. Just believe me. Not just believe in me. Believe me, I got this. Believe me, 150 years from now, we'll be sitting on a cloud somewhere going, that's what you're worried about. I told you, just believe me. I got it worked out. Are you with me? People say stuff that makes me crazy. How many know you're a, first Peter says that you are, that we are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We once weren't a people, but now we're the people of God. We once didn't receive mercy, but now we receive mercy. Here's my point. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is what we are. When we received Jesus Christ, we became a holy people. God, our, our, our father is not president of presidents. He's king of kings. Presidents don't have heirs that stay on their throne. We are heirs to, to the throne because our daddy is the king. And he's king over kings, which means he's king over the kings, and we are the kings he's king over. But my point is, 
is that he calls us holy, royal, excellent. Are you with me? The very next verse says, Therefore, my beloved, I urge you to live as aliens and, ch- and strangers, abstaining from fresh, fleshly lusts that wage war against your soul. And he goes on, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, and he gives us a list. My point is, this is who you are, therefore, this is how you should behave. My identity causes me to live differently than people who don't yet know the king. Are you following me? I am called to a higher standard because I have grace to live where other people can't live until they know the Lord. So I'm not reflecting their culture. (laughs) Here we go. Okay. People say things like, at least my kid's not a drug addict. I'm like, really? That's the high standard. My goal is to raise children who aren't drug addicts. Good job. Somebody does something wrong in their life and go, wow, at least I'm not an axe murderer. I mean, like, really? I'm, I'm supposed to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Like, at least I'm not an axe murderer. I mean, I'm just like, like, what are we raising? Now, I'm not talking about pushing religion on our children. I'm talking about realizing that we have a high calling, but we receive grace for it. I don't know if you've been to Wikipedia lately. I don't know if I should say this, but I I guess I'm going to. I mean, Wikipedia cites the mating habits of dogs and animals as proof positive that homosexuality is a legitimate lifestyle. I'm not joking. Someone sent the the article to me, and I looked it up. Who's doing Wikipedia? I mean, I'm looking at my dog to say, well, this is the behavior. This makes it all okay. I don't want to tell you what my dog does when we're streaming, but... I mean, I am not learning lessons about nobility from watching what my dog does. I'm not legitimizing my sexual habits by watching my dog. I'm telling this is the, the, this is the world that we live in. And we are beginning to justify, churches are beginning to justify like, well, you know, it's just, this is who I am, you know? I'm just, I'm just an adulterer. I just, how can I help it? I mean, a woman walks by and I'm just like, I can't help it. Yes, you can help it. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. I, 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 I'm a gay Christian. I'm sorry, that's, that, that's, those two are incongruent. I didn't say it, Jesus did. Jesus said, if you have problems with your sex drive, do whatever it takes to take care of it so you don't end up in hell. And I, I'm not you know, condemning anyone. Everybody's struggled with, with stuff. Everybody. Lying, cheat. Did you notice the list that he went through? Factions, dishonesty. Like, okay, who, who's not on that list? I'm mean, going to be careful when you start pointing fingers at people because you're on there somewhere, at least on, and things like these. <laughs> I want to give you, uh, oh boy, this is going to be, uh, no, I have like 17 pages and I'm page four. I'm going to give you, I'll, I'll just read them. 18 signs of nobility. There's probably hundreds of them. These are the ones I wrote down before I fell asleep. <laughs> Number one, you live from stances and not circumstances. Number two, you manage your appetites. They don't control you, you control them. 
Not denying you have them, you're just not, they're not controlling you. Number three, you keep your word even when you have to sacrifice to do so. Selah. Number four, you have a secret life with God in which you would be honored if someone discovered it. Number five, you're generous and sacrificial. Number six, you're in control of your emotions. Number seven, you forgive and you don't hold grudges. Number eight, you live in peace and joy. Number nine, the favor of God's on you and people experience it from you. Number 10, you fear God only and you live above the snake line with the fear of man. Number 11, you have an excellent spirit. Number 12, you care about injustice and you protect the rights of the poor and the underprivileged. Number 13, you love everyone no matter their stances or affiliations. You love everyone no matter their stances or affiliations. Number 14, you've tamed your tongue. I'll tell you this quick story. About six months ago, I woke up in the middle of the night and the Lord just said this to me. It's time for you to stop cussing. Now, I know some of you think I still cuss because I say frickin' and suck, but I checked with the Lord and those seem to be okay so far. I am hanging on to those two words as not cuss words. But uh, I have been uh, known to be colorful at times to express myself and, uh, you know, not using the F word or anything and never in anger, but I I have been using some Egyptian, I confess to. And the Lord just said, you won't be cussing anymore. Uh, On a serious note, he said, you won't be cussing anymore. I've called you to better than that. Seriously, after, you know, like 60 years of living like that, you would think, well, I'm having a hard time. But it just went away. Now, once in a while, I'm looking for a word from the Lord. You know, I'm trying to express myself and I need a word from the Lord, like a word, like something besides some of the words I used before. But it's amazing when the Lord tells you something and then he gives you grace to do it. Number 15, you live by faith, which is rooted in hope. Number 16, you bring the best out in others and you believe in people. Number 17, you create a culture of honor around you. And number 18, you negotiate for win-win. Okay, that's a third of the message. And I can give you the rest right now. (laughs) I'm just joking. I wouldn't test your patience like that. Only God knows what might happen. Um, The Lord's called us to wholeness and holiness. I wrote this, morality is whispered only in the safety of the closest of friends and purity has become a a well-kept secret. Nobility has virtually disappeared from society, viewed as old men's musings, irrelevant to the 21st century, hipsters and the PC crowd. In fact, moral restraint is viewed as a bondage that shackles society, promoted only by religious bigots and antiquated dinosaurs who are disappearing in the ice age of a sunless society. And so we, and so we with noble purpose, cower in the corner of culture living in the shadows of society, desperately hoping we don't awaken the hipster dissatisfaction and invite for ourselves unnecessary persecution. Meanwhile, our children march slowly into the darkness as we congratulate ourselves on another day without offense. 
Noble people will always be blamed for the guilt of the guilty and the conviction of the virtuous who try to silence the inner voice of shame by censoring the voice of dignity. And I believe that God's called us to arise and shine. He's called us to love people enough to tell them the truth. He's called us, enough, he's called us to preach the Jesus of the Bible, not the Jesus of the PC sensitive crowd. And Jesus would only offend people for the sake of loving them. So I want to pray for you. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing today in us and through us. And Lord, it's, I pray that holiness would be a part of each of our lives. It wouldn't just be about them. Lord, we wouldn't just be, wow, I wish John was in the, in, in the congregation today. Lord, you're talking to us. You're talking to us that are even old and have habits that have, should have gone by the wayside a long time ago. Lord, I just pray for your blessing on each of us in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a couple words for people. Can you stand up? You have a beard. What is your name? Carlos. Carlos, I saw the Lord building a road through you. I saw him building, I saw you as a road builder. I saw you paving the way for people who don't have the strength you, you have. I feel the Lord strengthening you right now. I see Isaiah 62 says, go through, go through the gates, clear the way for the people, remove stones. And I saw you removing, like, I saw you creating this highway for uh, really weak people who the world has judged as insignificant. And I see you building a road for them. I see you loving on them. And I see the Lord giving you a shepherd's heart for them. And I believe that there is a, a heart of a shepherd and there's a heart of a teacher inside of you. And I, I bless what God's doing in you. And don't be surprised if you get a call before the end of the year to shepherd God's people because there is something in you that's on fire in you. And there are people who God has given you as a flock. So I bless that in you in Jesus' name. And I thank you for it. Um, there, there's people in the room that the more you seek God, the sicker you get. Would you stand up? The more you seek God, the sicker you get. It's like you've even said it out loud. Like the more I give to the Lord, I just keep getting sicker. And the Lord told me this morning, this, I got this early this morning. He told me about this word and he said, I'm going to break witchcraft off of people. And I, 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 right now, I just, it's interesting you're standing. Right now, I, I'm not saying you're involved in witchcraft. Let me be clear. I know you're not. But the Lord said that there is witchcraft that has been sent against his people to keep you out of your purpose and destiny. That actually, you know, it's just like Jesus when he was born and the enemy tried to kill all the firstborn male children. And I feel like there's been that kind of assignment against you because the enemy knows that if you get well, that he is doomed in the, in, the, in the realms that you have been called to. So in the name of Jesus, I break witchcraft. We used to call it witchcraft. We break witchcraft off of you in Jesus' name. I guess I can still say that word too. I don't know. In Jesus' name, I command that to leave you right now. And I pray for that, that affliction, that sickness, that mental uh, and emotional instability, that fog you live in. And, and you even said out loud, gosh, the more I seek the Lord, the worse I get. 
And I, first of all, I want to say thank you for your perseverance that you're here, you're pressing in. And secondly, I want to say that this is the day when the judge and the widow meet and the judge makes a decision in favor of the saints of the highest one. In Jesus' name, I speak to your anxiety. I speak to your exhaustion. I speak to your crazy fatigue, even mental fatigue. In Jesus' name, and I pray for the energy of the Holy Spirit to be released in you. I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to be released in you. I pray right now for the visions of God to be released in you in Jesus' name. And listen, you've been prayed for a thousand times and I don't want you to let the enemy say, remember you got prayed for before and it didn't work because it's working today in Jesus' name. And I, I say yes and amen to that. Amen, you can sit down. All right, why don't you all stand? Sorry, one more. Is there somebody in here, the last name of Pierce? Pierce? Maybe it's your first name. I don't know. The name Pierce? Pierce? Maybe online. Your daughter's name Pierce? Okay. Put your hands out like this. Okay, take this home for her, okay? Lord, we just thank you that she's going to pierce the darkness. We thank you that the open heaven is going to be on her. We thank you that you're calling her to a higher place, that you're breaking every kind of chain off of her, and that you have filled her with your Holy Spirit, that wonders and miracles and signs first going to happen in her and then through her in Jesus' name. And we pray also online for somebody else named Pierce. Uh, there's a man named Pierce, and I, I release you right now to invention and innovation. I, I, I saw somebody that's named Pierce that was an inventor and an innovator, and I released those inventions and innovations to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Okay, put your hand on your heart. Say this. I am a royal priesthood. I'm a holy nation. I am full of excellence. I receive mercy and grace to live a joy-filled, happy, holy life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. To stay connected, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter at chrisvalentin.com forward slash subscribe. God bless you.